Today we're actually going to be talking about the idea of time and how God works in time. And see, when you're in elementary school or when you're a kid, every year is so long. Every year means so much. Do you remember this? When you were younger, every year felt like it was crawling, even from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. <laughs> in class. It crawls. It's at a snail's pace. And now, as a 37-year-old, 2021, it's like I, I was just learning how to write 2021 in my devotional book, and now in a few months, it's 2022. And so this morning, as I was praying, I want, I just Googled why this happens. Why does time fly by the older that we get? And I'm going to read it because I'm going to not pretend like I know too much. <laughs> and so uh, there's a lot of buffoonery on the Internet. So I try to take what I think is an acceptable answer. Okay. So when you are young and experiencing lots of new stimuli, everything is new. Time actually seems to be passing more slowly. And as you get older, the production of mental images in your brain slows, giving the sense that time passes more rapidly. Does that make sense? So when, when things are new, when you're young, you're processing so much stimuli, so much, so much information that time actually feels really long. And as you get older, you kind of space it out more. And as you space it out, time seems to fly by faster. It made sense to me. Regardless of what the real reason is, because I don't know, I think that our society has, an, has, has a very bad relationship with time. We have a terrible relationship with time because we obsess over time. And even today, this message that I'm going to bring to you, I got to admit, I, I obsess over time in a very unhealthy way as, as well. I am very guilty of it. In fact, it's one of my most broken areas is I have an issue with time. See, when I graduated from college, I would, and, and as I pursued music, I would always measure myself against the age of people I admired. You guys do that or just me? It's okay. I would see, you know, who my favorite artists were and when, when their first album came out. And I would be like, oh, 27. I did it at 23. 20, they did this at 28. I'm going to do it faster. And I would have this almost, I don't know if you want to call it drivenness. I don't know what the issue is. I haven't psychoanalyzed uh, myself yet. But it's some, this thing where I would always measure myself against time. And I always felt like time was running out. I always felt like I didn't have enough time to do the things that I wanted to do. And part of the reason is, you know, my mom passed away when she was 43 or 44. I mean, that's like seven years from now for me. I'm 37. So when I thought about time, I was like, we don't really have much time left. We don't even know how much time we have on this earth. So that the way that I related to time is I was always trying to fight and beat time. And I realized and even in my life now, I have an issue with time in my flesh. And so I wonder maybe for some of you guys, you might also have an issue of time and you might have different markers. See, I was looking at music. You might have different markers. Maybe you have to buy a house by a certain time. Or maybe you have to be, have children by a certain time. Maybe you have to be married by a certain time. Because all the, here's the average age and, and, and you're, you're, you're late according to the average age. Or maybe you're early or maybe too soon, or whatever it is, we unconsciously have this very bad relationship with time, and I wonder if God wants to heal it today and heal it. As we grow closer to him, I think he actually heals our issue with time. And the days, it's, it's funny because I used to be the youngest person doing the thing that I was doing. And that was just like five years ago or like six years ago. Now I'm definitely not. I'm surrounded by 20-year-olds that do the same thing as me in different, in different spheres. It's interesting. Happens within a matter of six years. So you young people, it will happen very quickly. In about seven or eight years, all of a sudden, you're not the youngest person in the boat, and which is a great thing. It's good. Not to, I, I thank God I'm not my 22-year-old self. That would be terrible for me and for you. 
I wanted to read something from Genesis 1. Today we're going to start Genesis 1, verse 1. I've always wanted to do that. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Oh, there's so much in those first five verses, but I can't get too deep into it. But here's what I want you to realize. Light was the first thing that was created, okay? Or the concept of light, let's just say. Day two, the sky was created, and now God created up and down. Day three, he put the waters in one place, and he called it the sea, and he distinguished it from the land. And then vegetation was created, and plants and trees, and he put seeds and everything so that they could multiply. But here's something very strange in day four. Let's read it from verse 14. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. I'm confused. Are you confused? I thought he said, let there be light on day one. Yet on day four, the, the luminaries or the, the lesser lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars are provided for the earth, right? So there seems to be a light that was created before the sun, moon, and the visible stars or the things that we can see. So the concept of light was formed in day one. But in day four, it seems like the lights were more for seasons, days, and years, and time. So it's, it, it, was, it was the visible light in day four was, was for actually for us to be able to see. And it was also to give us chronological order. So we know what a year is, a day is, and time. But day one, there was light. And I, wonder, I wondered about this. What was, what was that light? So I just want to turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Can it be? Let's go really quick to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. By the way, this is my favorite bit in the Bible. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. In John chapter 1, The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And without him, not one thing exists. And he was the light of all people, right? In Colossians 1, he himself is before all things. This is Jesus. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He's the firstborn of creation so that he would take first place in everything. Is it possible? I'm not saying this is capital T truth. Is it possible that when God said, let there be light, he was, when he was creating the earth and the whole, remember, let's go back to Genesis one. In the beginning, when God, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God, Holy Spirit, Wind from God swept over the face of the earth. Then God said, let there be light, Jesus. Is it possible that when God was creating the earth, he already knew that he would be sending himself in the form of a human and in the form of his son as Jesus to be the light of the world that was far different and far distinguished from seasons and time. Which means that if Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. And since he was thought of before anything, everything exists because Jesus exists. Everything exists through Jesus, which means that time is under Jesus, which means the idea of time must bend to God because time and space was created after light. And so this is very, very important because when we think of time for ourselves, we have to realize that time has to bend to God. It's not the other way around. It is true that Jesus stepped into our time. He stepped into humans' clock, humanity's clock, but he is still far apart from time. He was created before time. Let there be light. Let's just say for the next 30 minutes, let there be light was Jesus. God created the heavens and the earth. The Holy Spirit is the thing that came and investigated what had to be done. And let there be light. Jesus was created first so that everything else would be a part of that light. Right? Go with me here. You know, just go with me. He would be the light that would come before everything else. And so Jesus is before the time and the seasons. So all of our ideas of time has to bend and bow to him. All of our seasons, all of the things that we think we're called to do right now, it has to come under his authority. Now, we might, you know, there's been ancient religions that worship the sun and the moon and the stars because for them, it was so important for, you know, for agriculture or for, for, for seasons are so important for people because our, our livelihood is dependent on it. So they built religions over it. Now, we don't necessarily, as Christians, as believers, we don't, we don't do that, obviously. But the, but the, but the, Simple G God of time sometimes still tries to take a hold of us. And so today we're going to be talking about that. We want to talk about what it means for us when we actually worship time and not God. Or you may be someone who struggles with seasons. When I first uh, entered into the Christian uh, culture, when I first uh, entered into the Christian culture, right? The Christian culture is very different from Christian. I want to separate those two things out. The Christian culture spoke to me a lot about seasons. I am in, it's Christianese 101. I am in a season of 
such and such. I'm in a season of such and such. I'm in a season of this. I'm not bashing any of that because it's true. We live our lives in and out of seasons. But I think the issue is because we use the word season so often, we have, we, we have this idea that when there's a season, that's the boundary in which God operates in. We tend to think, well, it's my season of, I don't know, parenting. So that means I can't do anything else because it's my season of parenting. So we tend to have this idea that seasons are the boundaries in which God operates. But remember, seasons came in day four. And let there be light was day one. And so I want to suggest to you today that maybe you guys are people of seasons and maybe we might have blocked God out of our seasons because we thought seasons has the ultimate word in our life. And I want to say that God can do anything he wants in and through your supposed season. And sometimes the season that you think you might be in, you're, you're, you might actually not even be in that season anymore. You might have extended your season. It's like living in California. It's like, it's really like fall and summer-ish the whole time. There's no real season. You're living in California weather when you think that you're, when really God is like, no, that was in the past. I have something new coming up, right? So we can't really use seasons as an excuse to prevent God from working in our life right now in the way that he wants. Somebody, uh, somebody was joking around and, you know, I was, I sent them something and the, and about what God wants to do. And the response that they sent back to me is, well, God doesn't have four kids, (laughs) but Jesus didn't have four kids. That's why he was able to do X, Y, and Z. And I I understand the sentiment of that, and believe me, I understand the frustration of that. But what it reminded me of is, see, we always use excuses of the season that we're in from seeing what God might want to do. And what God might want to do is very exciting because he will give grace to your season and more abundant life. But believe me, I respect your season, okay? It's just that God might not. And I believe that he, is, he wants to alter idea of time because we have to really understand that he is the light by which everything else was created, by which everything else has to bow to, by which seasons, days, and times, and years all have to worship. So I'd like to turn our attention to John chapter 2, and this is the wedding at Cana, and we've, we've read this many times before. You realize that when Jesus walked this earth, eternity was walking in time. And I, and I was thinking about this, whenever we think about eternity, we think of what? The future, right? We think of forever, which is out there. But eternity has to go through the present also. Eternity has to flow through right now, this very moment. And so John chapter 2, we're not going to read the entire wedding of Cana, just a few verses. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. See, because it was culturally inappropriate to not have wine at the celebration. Verse 4, and Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I mean, what kind of response is that to my hour has not come? Okay, do whatever he tells you. And then you guys read it later, but Jesus has some directions on what to do, and the water turns into wine. And and the couple gets commended for the fact that they save the good wine for later. I I think that Mary... Mary's faith is interesting because Jesus is talking about his timeline. 
And he's saying, my hour has not yet come. That means it's not my time to do my thing publicly. It's not my time for people to, to see my miracles yet. There's other commentaries on this verse that says maybe he was referring to his death and resurrection. I'm not really swayed on that. I really think it was more about his public ministry. My hour has not come yet from, for it to go wide, widespread yet. And yet, what does he do? He obliges and he ends up, he ends up doing the very thing that Mary wanted him to do. Which means this, your faith has the ability to bend time. If Jesus himself is saying, my hour has not come, it's not my time to do the thing that you want me to do. But Mary says, do what he tells you to do anyway. It means that her faith could bend time. Remember the Syrophoenician woman who, who comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his daughter, her daughter who is suffering from demon possession. And what is, what does Jesus say? He says, he says, the uh, children must eat before the dogs, right? Because he's pulling out faith from her. And she, he's basically saying, it's not time for you to receive all the blessings yet. But the woman says, but master, even the dogs can eat the crumbs from the servants, from the master's table. And Jesus says, your faith, go, your daughter is made well. Your faith has healed you, which means when the seeming, the, when the timeline looks like this, the f- faith that comes from God actually is able to bend time and change time. Jesus himself says, my hour has not yet come. I want to ask you a question. If you feel like you're asking God, but it's not God's timing, what's the first thing we naturally do? We say, of course, it's not my time yet, right? The God of the universe just said, my, it's not your time yet. What is your response to that? See, I think a lot of us are living behind some kind of, it's not from God, but some kind of either religious idea that it's not your time yet, or it's not the time for a miracle, or it's not the time for healing. But, but, when, but when Jesus tells Mary, my hour has not yet come, her faith bent time. And, it, and then actually his hour was there. His hour actually did come in that sense. It was his business that the water should turn into wine. Does this not trouble you? Because I, if Jesus told me, Rajiv, my hour has not yet come, the very first thing would, I would, I'm trained to say, then I'm not touching it. There's, if, hey, if you say it's not my time, then, then it's not for me. And I think it's in this space that God wants to come to us and ask us, where is your desire? See, Mary, she knows she's used to, she's used to her son. See, her son does these type of things. She's used to not actually knowing anything. She's used to looking at her son and listening to her son and not fully understanding it, but knowing that he's right and she's not. Remember when he was 12 years old? He gets lost for a few days or a day, and then he goes, she finds him at the temple, and she, and he, she said, you worried us. You worried us. And he says, didn't you know that I'm supposed to be at my father's house? So what do you do with that? 12-year-old God <laughs> telling you, 12-year-old God telling you, don't you know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? See, Mary understands that, of course, she doesn't understand fully what God is talking about or telling her. But she's used to the idea, what is her first, her, her, her default comment is what? Do what he says. Because I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll do what you say. I want to know what it's like to live in this kind of faith because that is the type of faith that it takes for things to happen now, not in 2022, not in 2023. I'm talking about October right now. Are, do you have the desire for anything in your life for something to happen right now? See, because desire is the thing that makes somebody say, Jesus, I'll eat the scraps. 
See, I think we live our Christian life where we don't have much desire, which means we're a huge respecter of seasons. When you don't have desire, you just respect every season that you're in, not realizing that faith is now, that eternity passes through the present. Now, I'm not saying that a lot of times we're wrong, and I'm not saying some things are for later. I know that. I know that. But what if it's for now? What if it's right now? What if the miracle is right now? There's some of us that have been so disappointed that we're used to telling people it's God's timing, God's timing, God's timing. I have heard that in my brain and from Christians my whole life. God's timing. It'll happen in God's time. And yes, it will. But what if that time is today? What if the breakthrough that you've been waiting for is right now? Remember, Jesus said, my hour has not come yet. But then he still did what Mary asked. Jesus told the Syrophoenician woman that you're a Gentile. You're later. You're when I work through Paul for later. He said it like that. And he off, honestly, he said it in kind of a rude way. My opinion. Sorry. You know. And, and then yet he still healed her, healed her daughter. Why? Because faith bends time. Faith will bend time. If there are things that you've wanted for five years and every day you come, every Sunday you come to church and it's on your mind, but you don't really want to pray about it. You don't really want to think about it because it hurts too much. Understand one thing. Faith bends time. Okay? Faith bends time. I know it may feel a little shocking that we could have that much power in the spirit. But faith bends time because it happened right here. Whenever you bring a crisis to God, whenever you bring a desire to God, whenever you bring something that you so desperately need to see, I like Mary's approach. She knows that I'm bringing something to God. I don't know what this guy is going to tell me now. But I know that he will do something about it, that he will be on the move. Okay, this is very important. People who see breakthroughs in their life are people that when they bring something to God, they naturally know, I'm pretty sure I won't get it right now. This is difficult for us probably in the Western context because we think that we have to know everything. And so we think that God is not moving when we don't understand something. So I, would, I want to suggest to you that when you bring a crisis to God, you have to believe that God exists. Hebrews says this too, that God exists and that he is on the move, that he's doing something about it. This will change the way that you relate to God because you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't shoot prayers like you're throwing the ball from half court and you're just launching something into the air, hoping that God is going to hear it. Like Mary, you have to believe that he's going to do something. I don't understand, but he's going to do it. And then you pray in the spirit. You pr- Sometimes I don't know what to pr- I know someone's going through something. I don't know what to pray about because I haven't talked to them. But I think about them and I see their face and I pray in the spirit. And what that does is it gets me into what God is doing and it gives me hope and it builds faith. More importantly, because faith is what moves mountains. So we see that faith has the ability to bend time, but we realize that we are people that respect seasons too much unless desire is so great, unless our desire is so great that we're willing to, dare I say, ask God for it now. We're willing to say, I want it now. I know all the Christian words about seasons. I know all the cultural references about your timing. It's on your time. I get it, God. Holy Spirit, I understand. How about right now? What about right now? There is something in each of your lives right this minute that you want right now. And some kind of false sense of maturity has told you that you just have to take a step back. I say we take a step in. I say today, whatever that thing is that you've been waiting for, I say you take a step in. Don't be so mature about it. You know what I mean? Tongue in cheek. Don't be so calculated about it. Take a step in. 
You ever realize this happened for Lydia and I? It might have happened to some of some of you guys when you got married. When you guys got married, you know, like you're planning for your wedding or whatever, whatever you have. Some people don't have these big weddings. They you you have a, a smaller ceremony, whatever it is, it's a busy season, right? When you get married. And what tends to happen is it's not just a wedding that you're planning for. You're plan, you're, it happens, it so happens that there's five other major events happening at the same time. You get, you're, you're probably shifting jobs. Some people are coming from different countries. You know, some, some of you guys got married and your spouse is from another country. They don't, they're not from America. And, and that's like, that's, that's hard, by the way, to move from another country to come here. That's like not easy. And so you have life moves, you're planning for a wedding, emotions are at an all-time high. I remember when Lydia and I got married, we, we bought a condo, we had to get a new car, I switched jobs, and I was recording an album, and we got married in five months. And it all happened in five months, right? Now, I, real, I realized something. I said, God, why do, you, why do you allow that to happen? Is it because you just love weddings? <laughs> you love weddings so much that you throw in these bonus, these bonus things. Because usually I pray about those five things individually. It takes a long time. <laughs> but I, I realized that when we got married, it, it happens really quick. So I asked God, why? And this is, this is what I feel like the Holy Spirit told me. He said, because when you're getting married, your desire is automatically at a higher level. Because the way you pray when you're about to get married is you're trying to be prepared to be married. This is an important thing. You're, you're, you're preparing your whole life. I was 29 when I got married, so I had 29 years of bad habits. All of those things had to change now because <laughs> I'm getting married. And so my desire is at an all-time high. And when your desire is at an all-time high, faith comes. Faith comes for, because you're willing to lay it all on the line. And so in the seasons of these weddings that happen or unions that happen, it seems that a lot gets done and it's because desire is up. And so if we just say, but this is my season to get, if, if, if Lydia and I said, this is our season to just plan the wedding or, or get married, then so many of the things that are happening now in our lives would not be happening if we closed God to just working in our season. Does that make sense? So much that happened in that year of 2013, there's so many eternal things that happen in that space. But if we said, well, God, right now, I'd like you to help us focus on this wedding. It, 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 it not, our life probably wouldn't look the way it does today. And this is so, this is so humbling for me because I, I even look at my life now and whatever season that I've told myself that I'm in, and I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I don't know what's going to happen in 10 years, but may I not quench what you're doing 10 years from now because I've restricted you to my season. Let there be light. Day four was the seasons. Matter of fact, there were like, Three good days before time. Yet we act like time was like day 0.3. After God, there's time. Not really. Not really. There was vegets. There was, that's a whole different thing. But there was like vegetation and seeds before time. That's another sermon. Faith arises. When there are critical seasons, we pray in a way that simply needs Jesus to come through, right? We just need him to come through. And we don't need him to come through later. We need him to come through now. Left to our flesh, I want to say that time is a very strong force. And if we're not living, in relationship to God, time actually holds us. There's a saying in basketball or any sport that father time will always catch up to you, right? As you age, father time will all, Charles Barkley always says it, and it annoys me when he says it. 
But he'll talk about the greats and he'll say, well, Father Time caught up to them. Father Time. And I want to say to you today, it's true that we age and we age gracefully and things get harder as we age. But when you're living, when you're living in the spirit, when you're living with the God of the universe who all things submit to time, it's not about time won't get a hold of you in that way. Time won't get a hold of you in that way. God will get a hold of you and God will tell time what to do. God will tell time what to do. A lot of you know that Lydia and I have a preschool and we wanted to, I wanted to start it back in actually right when I graduated from college, I, I had the idea and I tried to do a three month program with someone and it failed miserably <laughs> back in 2007. And the idea was still in my head. Anyway, long story short, we obviously opened it, right? That, that was a miracle of how we opened the school. When we, op- when we opened the school, we had three kids. So, well, this is what I told Lydia first. I said, I can vision starting the school. That's not an issue for me. I can go from zero to one. You're going to have to do the rest. <laughs> I, can, I can help us go from zero to one. I can't visualize kids actually coming into the school. I don't see kids here. Why would they want to come here? There's like 50 other preschools in the area. Why would they want to come to our school? So I was so nervous when we saw the classrooms. And I'm saying, now what do we do? We license, We got licensed. We got everything. And on our first day of school, we had three kids. Can you imagine the recruitment from the parents for these three kids? Oh, so how long have, have you been in business for? And the answer was, we haven't. But if you bring your kids here, they're going to have an amazing experience, right? And the thing about, the, we're younger parents, so we're in this world. The thing about preschools, it's all, all about establishment. Oh, such and such school established in 1943. Established in 1923. Pasadena is actually, it's, a, it's an older city. So a lot of things were established long time ago. So the claim to fame is how long you've been established. And we were established for one week. And I, <laughs> and I realized that God would really have to do things completely outside of our capacity and capability. And so on the tours, I remember Lydia would say, <laughs> She'd say, do you want to be a part of an establishment that hasn't changed in 80 years? Or do you want to be something part, uh, do you want to be a part of something brand new? And today we have like 90 kids and we're looking to expand. And here's what I realized. God's time in your life, it's always new. It's always a new thing. Even if it pulls from traditions, even if it pulls from your past. There's nothing wrong with your past. I'm not anti-past in that way. But even if it pulls from all these things, it might even pull from the future. But whatever God does is new. And so when we think about God's timing, we have to get into what God is doing now. What is, what is the new thing that God is doing? And of course, we, we had to figure out, just as our, our school was growing to like 60 kids, the world shut down with the pandemic. And the first thing that shut down were schools, obviously, right? And we shut down for two months. And in those two months, the majority of schools completely shut down for good. Because they couldn't, they didn't have the bankroll and the payroll. And they didn't have the, they didn't have the, basically the, the finances set up where they could continue or the setup with their lease or whatever, whatever their business case was, they couldn't manage. So they closed down and it was two months into the pandemic and we kind of got adjusted to like not having tuition and we kind of got adjusted like, okay, we'll just weather this out. And there was, it was, there was, there was a, very polarized opinion on what what schools should do, especially private schools. Should you open or should you not? Because if you open, you could spread the virus. And if you don't, well, kids are at home and parents need to take their kids somewhere because they still have to work. 
Okay. Now, most people in the world, this is what they do. They pick, they look at two opinions. They, they basically, um, see what side has a better opinion. And then they just launch after that opinion. Maybe your political hero told you something, so you do that. Or, or maybe your favorite news station told you something, so you do that. But see, we realize that wisdom doesn't really work that way. Wisdom is something where you hold things in tension. That's, that's where wisdom comes. Wisdom, when you hold something in tension, then God could actually speak to you. He could speak his words and not the words of society or culture. And so we, we, we said, there's no way we want to endanger anybody. And we also want to serve the community. And so we asked God to just speak to us because we don't know what we're doing. And we realized that there was actually a nuanced way to stay open and still be extremely safe and get buy-in from the parents to see if this would work. And so we did that, and it was really hard. And actually, it's funny we had like 60-something kids when the pandemic happened, and we grew like 30% after because we became a school that cared about the community and the people around us. And so we realized, I realized that when we listened to God's voice, time had a different, had a different uh, effect upon us. Time worked differently when God was speaking. In three years, we built the capacity of the school in which people that were operating for 30 years have never done. And it's not like, a, oh, wow, that's so great. It's not that. It's just that God's time, God bends time. When you're in, when you're in the Holy Spirit time, he bends it and time works for you. It doesn't work against you. It works for you. And so what I want us to realize today is that when we listen to the wisdom of God, when we listen to God's voice in our life, when we're willing not to just make knee-jerk reactions, time works for us. And that is so polar opposite to how I feel on some days, where I feel like I've just, I'm so behind. I feel like I haven't done enough. I feel like I, time has just done it, taken a toll on me. Time in the spirit is for me, like the wind is for me. Time is for you. I wonder if anyone in this have, has ever considered that time is actually for you. Maybe today's the first day you've actually realized that it's possible that you're not fighting time, but it could be for you. And I want to, I want to, I want to say that Mary in John chapter two. And the Syrophoenician woman could have both said, okay, yes, Lord, your timing is better for my life. I wonder if you have enough reason to believe that it's not your time yet. Even from, from, from well-meaning spiritual people. And I wonder, though, if today you say, no, it is my time. And this type of faith is uncomfortable, isn't it? To be honest, it's uncomfortable for me even saying it. Because it's daring to question the supposed time of God in my life. It's daring to question that. But I know that really what God wants to say is your time is now. See, I know that God wanted to tell Mary and the Syrophoenician woman, and by the way, many other characters in the Bible, that your timing is now. And so this is a crisis for many of us. And here's how I want to end today. We do this mental gymnastics, right? Of which is it, Jesus? Do you want us to press in or do you want us to let it go? And we have these binary options. Do we press in or do we let it go? And, and, and we do these mental gymnastics in our head. Is the timing now? Is it later? I want to... I want to turn our attention to 2 Corinthians 12. Because I think there's a lot of wisdom here for us. Second Corinthians 12, verses 6 to 10. 
Second Corinthians 12, verses 6 through 10. But if I wish to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. Paul is great. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think better of me, even what is seen in me or heard from me, even considering the exceptional character of the revelations. He's talking about revelations that he got that were really high level. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated or puffed up. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this. Other versions say I pleaded, I begged that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. I got to be honest with you. I struggle with this passage because there's an elephant in the room. And the elephant of the, in the room is this. When we pray for something, aren't we supposed to pray for it until, it's, until we're victorious? Like, isn't that the Christian life? We pray until something's gone, right? We pray until the devil is defeated. In this particular passage, Paul says he had one of those things. Now, some people say it was eyesight. Some people it says all the people that were persecuting the church, whatever you want to think about it, it was a thorn. Some people think it's a personal sin, which I like to think that's probably what it could have been. Whatever it is, it was a thorn. He prayed and Paul prayed and guess what? It didn't leave. And so what are we supposed to do? Are we pray for something to, to, to be victorious or are we supposed to pray until my grace is sufficient? Which one? Which one? Because in our Christian life, I think this is where the mental gymnastics happens. The mental gymnastics happens because we're not sure whether to pray through the addiction until it's gone. It's not an issue anymore. Or do we pray for the addiction and then we see relief, but we're, we're still not victorious. And it's kind of lingers there, but my grace is sufficient. I want you to sit in that. It's uncomfortable. I want us to sit in that. This is because this, this is directly from the word of God. And so I struggle with this tension, right? Because we're not supposed to pray for a half result. We're, su- we're supposed to pray for the whole thing. And what is better? Because it says that my power is made perfect through weakness. So does that mean that you only get power if you're, if you're weak? So in another words... In other words, if somebody has a disease and you pray for that disease, is it better for the person to have the disease and just experience the power of God through the, through the disease? Or is it better for the disease to be broken in the name of Jesus? It's a tough question. And so I wanted, I asked God, where is the power? Where is the power? See, when you get a text like this, by the way, just in your devotional times, if you're not settled, that's good. That means you have to go deeper. You can't let Christian adages and words fill in the comfort for you. Where's your desire, right? Where's your desire? You got to get hungry. Where is the revelation? I asked God, where is it? And I think. The power is in verse 8. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he's, so, okay, so three times he appealed. Three times he pleaded. Now, most of us, when we're going through something, we just assume that when it doesn't change, that it's the whole, that I'm just going to have to bear this. Not that my grace is sufficient is second class. It's not. Because in 99% of my life, that's how I function. (laughs) My grace is sufficient. But I think the fact that he went back three times says something about where the power comes from. He still had to hear, my grace is sufficient in your weakness. He only heard that when he kept going back to God over and over and over again. There's something very special 
about going back to God about the same thing over and over again. Because the power came not because just that this idea of his grace was sufficient. The power came because he went back to God three times. And so for some of us, when, you, when you're going through something, you have to ask God for desire to even, maybe desire doesn't come natural for you. Maybe you're just like a regular person. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say that. Maybe you just don't care that much. Maybe you're just comfortable with life. I don't know. I don't want to judge you. You can sort it out yourself. If you don't have desire, ask for desire and start going back to God about the same thing over and over again. It'll do you some good. It'll do us some good to go back to God repeatedly about the same things. Now, the text says three, th- three times. I'm pretty sure he thought about it a few more times than three. But let's just say three times. And when we, don't, when, we just, when we don't appeal to God repeatedly, we'll never know if he actually wanted to completely rid you of the thorn or not. Hey, I would much rather my thorn leave. I don't know about you. Like, my grace is sufficient is cool, but I would much rather have the thorn to leave. Let's see first if the thorn will leave. How about that? Can we start with that in our prayer life? Can we just start with that? Let's investigate if God wants to take the thorn away. Once we, and then if that doesn't happen, let's go for the grace is sufficient in your weakness. That's not bad too. Matter of fact, that's the same thing. The disappearance of the thorn. Here's why. Whatever, whatever Paul's thorn was, was impeding him from doing the thing he wants to do. See, he's a single-minded guy. So we can, we, can, we can infer from Scripture that Paul was someone who was focused on spreading the gospel to the Gentile world. Okay, Whatever the thorn was, was preventing him from doing that, maybe in his estimation, to the highest degree. Okay, but the th- in the, in this case, perhaps for God, this thorn was necessary in order for Paul to have the breakthrough that he really wanted, because the breakthrough and power of God may actually come while you're being content with your weakness. See, Paul needed to have resilience to be able to to be able to go through all the things he went through being shipwrecked, being stoned, being all sort, being sent in prison. He needed to have the resilience in order to finish the mission. So maybe the thorn was necessary so that he could build all that up so that he can finish the race, that he could run with vigor. See, that's a different understanding of the thorn. See, this is the beautiful thing. When you appeal to God, remember what we learned earlier, the first thing that you have to do is you have to believe he's on the move. So when, when you say anything to God, when you have any form of desire, God is on the move. And when God is on the move, that means he's already, he's already figuring it out for you. So that the way that you deal with the thorn is, if you don't remove it, then you're going to use it to take me further. If you don't remove the thorn, then you're going to use it to take me to breakthrough. That's why you have to appeal to God over and over and over again. Time works for us when we appeal to God. Paul believed that God could remove his thorn. And and you know what's beautiful? Never did he say, God, I don't know where you're at. He got something from God. He received something from God. My grace is sufficient in your weakness. My power is made perfect when you are weak. He received something from God. That is why whether you receive the removal of the thorn or not, you better receive something. And you will receive something when you go back to him three times. In your case, 433 times. In my case, 1,300 and I'm still counting. I asked God to make me a a really good musician to the point where I can do all the things that I beg other people to do for me myself. I play the piano terribly. I'm not good at sitting behind a computer and like, I just, I don't like doing that. I'm just an artist. And I've actually asked God for the talent to do these other things. And guess what? 
I never got it. To this day, I'm recording album number seven. Seven. That's a lot of albums. Seven. And I still don't have the level of musicianship or proficiency to execute at the highest level that I like to do. I didn't get it. I don't have the talent. A lot of, some, some of you here are actually better at music than me. And I have seven albums. And I realized that whatever God gives me or doesn't, I still have to wait for the power. I have to wait for God's power because that's going to be, that's the distinctive thing that I do. I have to wait for the power of God. Whether it's going to come via talent, via a $100,000 video budget, whether, whatever it's going to come through, at the end of the day, I need the power of God. And if I don't get any of those things, at least he'll give me my grace is sufficient in your weakness. My power will be made perfect. And to me, that is almost, if not the same, as getting all the things that I was asking for. Because when you appeal to God, he gives you something in return. Whether it's the removal of a thorn or his, guess what? What if he removes the thorn? What now? You still need his power to be made perfect in your weakness because you're still weak, right? You're still weak. So you need that. Very recently, as, and this is how we're going to close, a month ago, I, uh, I was praying or two months ago, I was praying and I realized something that I've realized for 37 years. I don't know how to swim. Like literally, nobody ever taught me how to swim. And, and it's sobering because when you have kids and they jump in the water and you're a dad and you don't know how to save them, mm-mm, nope, cannot work. So really, that was the thing. I was like, okay, it's about time. And so I heard, I remember hearing that there's someone named Gary who also helped early on, helped uh, teach the co-girls, the masters, how to swim. So I was like, I'm just going to go for the top. (laughs) I'm not even going to like, I'm not going for the junior members here. I'm going to the master. So. And I'm pretty, like, I'm an adult, so I read, before I asked Gary, I just Googled, I think I was at church, honestly, and I Googled, how long does it take an adult to swim? And some people said, like, up to four to five months, because you have to overcome so much fear, because you don't know what you're doing. And so I just walked up to Gary, I was like, can you teach me how to swim? He's, and if you know Gary, he's like, of course. He's like, yes, when? <laughs> and so I figured out a pool, my neighbor's pool that we could use. And the day that we, the, the, the day, the week that we decided we're going to start, something funny happened. He couldn't actually get in the water because his doctor said, don't get in the water for some, something he had to figure out. He couldn't get in the water for like two weeks. So he said, do you want, do you want to start when I can get in the water? And I was like, well, I asked my neighbor already. I don't want to delay it. I don't know how long we're going to have. Let's just go now. (laughs) And he said, okay, I'm going to be outside the water. You're going to be inside the water. This seems pretty foolish, but I realized that my time was now. You see, because I got a word from God and I'm, I'm decent at hearing now. And so I hear it and I don't think anymore. So I said, I have to learn how to swim right now. And he the first day he got in, he's, he was like, you know, assessing me and he's so kind and he's so patient, my God. And he was kind of just seeing how it was in the water. And he, and I had decided because Gary couldn't get with me in the water, I just decided one thing today, I'm going to, no matter what happens, he's not going to let me drown. Right. And plus it was like four feet. So all I have to do is stand up. (laughs) But that doesn't, by the way, that doesn't help with someone who doesn't know how to swim. Oh, it's just four feet. Yeah, right. I feel like the, the depths get more. <laughs> and so I decided one thing. I'm going to shut off my emotions and I'm going to shut off how I feel. 
I know I'm not going to drown because he's going to come in like Baywatch. And I'm just going to do whatever he tells me to do. And with one lesson, he did something that no human has done. Oh, my brother, Lydia, they all try and like hold me up. And I always end up fighting with them. He did what nobody else could do in 37 years. He made this islander go like this to this and propel forward. And it was his, it's Gary. And it was, and it was only from his voice. It was only from his voice that I was able to do that. See, here's the thing. When God tells you to do something, time doesn't matter. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what your estimation of yourself is. Your estimation doesn't mean anything, actually. Paul didn't even estimate himself. Get rid of this estimation game that you play in your mind. It doesn't matter. I don't care how you feel about yourself. I don't care if you have high self-esteem. I don't care if you have low self-esteem. I don't care if you're confident. I don't care about any of those things. When God speaks to you, the time is now.